interesting and how much was here. Um, and that's why I called it, it doesn't mean what you think it means. Because there's, I'm probably gonna just give you a whole bunch of information download about what I learned about this text this week because there wasn't any one thing I felt like I could really land on and kind of like work for a whole message. So um, it may be a really great opportunity for lots of conversation and I think Steve is gonna just love this because it's a lot of so cool like scriptural, historical, critical nuggets and I know that he likes that kind of stuff. So have fun everyone else as well. <laughs> All right, so we are beginning our study in the book of Matthew. Matthew's our gospel for the this spring, um, and this is the very first time that we're engaging with the text. And we are going to be in Matthew looking at Jesus's life up through Easter, and then we're going to be moving on into um, some of the other letters and those types of books until end of May. And then that will end kind of our narrative lectionary year. But this is the beginning of a whole bunch of time with Matthew. And so after I read the text that we're looking at today, I'll give you a little bit of an introduction into Matthew and like who he was and um, the way that the book was written and his audience and all that other good stuff that kind of gives you some more context for it. But here we are in Matthew 1. Um, this is eight, verses 18 to 35. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had born a son, and he named him Jesus. All right, so Matthew, Quinn, Quinn is right, the graphics look beautiful. <laughs> um, so like I said, Matthew's kind of our focus for the basically the next five months. Um, so the, the book of Matthew is the first gospel in our New Testament, right? It's not the first gospel. Mark is the very first gospel. It was the one that was written first. Um, and Matthew kind of uses... The Mark story, and then there's another source called Q. So this is your biblical history information. There's another source called Q that both Matthew and Luke used, um, as as well as the the Mark information to be able to write their gospels. Um, so Matthew and Luke are, are very much parallel, but they are written from a different perspective and to a different audience. So the the Matthew gospel is from the perspective of, of a wealthy urban community. So that matters. So these people have money, they have access to resources. They um, are overwhelmingly Jewish too. So you've got a very Jewish population here. And a lot of what Matthew is doing in his gospel is trying to convince the Jews who have not uh, believed that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Messiah. 
So there's going to be a whole bunch of what uh, the commentators like to call formulaic quotes from um, the Old Testament prophecies about the Messiah that Matthew kind of inserts into events that are happening. Um, and we got one of those in our passage today. And so he quoted Isaiah 7:14, and we'll, I'll dig into that a little bit more deeply. But sometimes Matthew kind of retranslates the quotes from the original text, which he did for this quote that's in our passage today. Um, and so you'll, you'll notice those along the way. And so if, if you're reading Matthew along with us as we kind of journey through that book this spring and winter, um, it will be really helpful to be using something like a study Bible because you'll be able to see all the cross references and all of the things that are there because Matthew for sure is referencing lots of Old Testament text. And so it, it gets it's really useful for when you're studying it to go back and look at the context and all that other kind of stuff. So that is super key. Um, so like I said, Matthew's focus is kind of Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy of the Messiah. All right, that's just your quick and dirty thing. I'll probably, when I teach some more on Matthew, delve more deeply into some more information about Matthew um, that pertains to whatever story that we're reading, but that's the most for today. Okay. So it's interesting when you look at this story and compare it to Luke's version of events. Luke kind of focuses more on Mary and more on what's going on in her relationship with Elizabeth and how she becomes pregnant and then the, the journey. It's just a lot more narrative. There's more information here. Um, and so sometimes people like to just pull out the Matthew story and say, oh, well, this is Joseph's version of events and his birth, the birth story from his perspective and all that kind of thing. Well, it's not really a birth story, everybody. <laughs> um, really what Matthew's trying to do with this story is let us understand a bit more clearly what he's trying to do, how he's connecting this Messiah Jesus to the Old Testament scriptures to how he's the fulfillment. And as uh, the audience that he's dealing with is really struggling with the idea of how do I fulfill the law when there's other things that seem to be better choices that are better for everybody. And as we look into Jesus's life through Matthew's eyes and in Luke and in Mark and in John, we see how Jesus is kind of taking the good things of the law, but is, choosing the better thing of what does it mean to fulfill the higher law? So how do I love God and love people the best? How do I fulfill that highest law? And so even in this beginning story with Joseph, we are already introduced to that dilemma because Joseph walks into a situation where he's engaged to, engaged to be married to Mary, which in their culture is as strong of a bond as marriage but yet they're not supposed to consummate that relationship. It's kind of an in-between. But because marriage is such an exchange of property, I know, it's yucky. It's an exchange of property. They've gotta have like these legal stages that happen, okay? And so the, the place that they're at, they're at the betrothal, which means the families have agreed that this marriage is going to take place but they haven't gotten to the actual exchange of property and Mary has not moved into Joseph's family's home yet, okay? So they're kind of at a middle stage. But according to the law, if any kind of untoward sexual behavior happens in this time, 
it would still be considered adultery. And the penalty for adultery is stoning, is death. Okay, I want to jump back to look to see how, how Joseph has responded to this situation. So he's engaged to Mary. She's found to be with child. My little pointer's not working very well. Oh, I think I need new batteries pretty soon. So she's found to be with child. So he's a righteous man. So we've already established that Joseph is focusing on justice. He wants the right things to happen. But he understands that the law says that Mary needs to either be killed or there needs to be a really public divorce. That basically she'll be shamed in front of the community and cast out of the community. That's like basically those are the only two choices. So Joseph here, he chooses something slightly different before the angel intervenes in the stream. He chooses that he's going to divorce her quietly, which means it's all gonna be on the DL, it's just gonna be kinda over here, and I'm gonna make sure that she's not shamed. I don't know how he was gonna make sure that happened, because these communities were not very large, and everybody knew, you know, you can't really hide a pregnancy that long. Because <laughs> there's a baby, eventually, right? And it's like, where did this kid come from? I don't know. Okay, so he's already wrestling with the question of how do I fulfill the law but yet do the thing that's best for everyone in this situation? So Joseph's already there wrestling with it, and this is what Matthew's trying to get us to know. What, what do we do with these dilemmas? How do we walk forward in them? And so then this child that's born out of all of this ends up being the one who teaches us how to deal with those dilemmas. I mean, it's not perfect. Like, Jesus hasn't given us any kind of formula for following, um, the, figuring out the best way to walk through all of the gray that we live in every single day. But this is what Matthew's trying to say. This is the one. He is the one who's going to teach us how to live out what it means to be in the gray. How to be the kind of people that are able to fulfill the law, but yet understand what it means to love God and to love people as best we possibly can. Now that is a pretty awesome Christmas story. I think that's pretty cool. Okay, so the other amazing thing about this, get back to my birth story headline. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of discussion in here about how this baby got to be in the womb. And, it, and this text, the Matthew text, has been used by people to kind of talk about uh, Mary's perpetual virginity, which is an issue in the Catholic Church. There's lots of conversation about that. Um, and whether or not, uh, like, about sexual behavior and how people should live that out in their lives. I mean, it's gone really far. Like, this text has been bent and turned and twisted and all this kind of thing. And I think they're entirely missing the point. Because in reading this and digging into this more, um, what Matthew's trying to teach us is that it had nothing to do with Mary, and nothing to do with Joseph. God chose Mary to be a vessel, and the Holy Spirit created Jesus. And whenever the Holy Spirit creates anything, a revolution is happening. 
And so what Matthew's point is not anything to do with sex, people. Like, let's put the sex stuff away. It's, she's only, they only talk about her being a virgin because there has to be a very much clarity about who's doing the work. It's God that's doing the work. It's not any kind of human intervention, any kind of human planning. There's no sort of thing here that is anything to do with Joseph or Mary's doing. This was all God through the Holy Spirit. So the Jewish hearers to this text would immediately be going, hey, so Holy Spirit created this Messiah, this Jesus who's coming? That sounds a lot like when, when God created the universe, right? In the Genesis text, it talked about the, the Spirit is hovering over the waters. So the Spirit is creating. The Spirit is moving. The Spirit is the one who is um, making changes in Pharaoh's heart in Egypt when they start getting released with the, all of the plagues are happening. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing that work. So whenever the Holy Spirit is involved in doing something, something new is being birthed, something new is happening, pay attention because God is doing something. And I think that's awesome. So this incarnation of Jesus, this coming to the world is not about this miraculous birth necessarily. It's about God breaking into the world and doing something new. God is teaching us something new about how to be human. And that is beautiful. I just love it. Okay. All right. I think I already, I jumped all over my stuff. Oh, okay. Well, I want to dig into this a little bit deeper. So in that, in the verse 23, it says, look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall name him Emmanuel. And so that reference, like I said, is to Isaiah seven fourteen. And so you can look that up into it in its original context. Um, it's a prophecy that Isaiah made for the people when they were under siege and that basically it was fulfilled by Isaiah's wife. Isaiah's wife wasn't a virgin because if you look at the Hebrew word that is uh, translated in the New Testament as virgin is usually translated in Hebrew as young woman. So Matthew made an editorial choice in his translation um, for the for the his gospel um, because he's trying to make a point about it's God's work not human work um, the the prophecy originally in Isaiah was fulfilled in its time but it also can have like many prophecies have have an immediate response but then have a long-term implication and so this text has that long-term implication too and so it's kind of neat how those, those prof prophetic voices can be layered. So it's not like um, the Bible is this thing that, okay, the prophecy's been fulfilled, and that's the only time it'll be fulfilled. It can be fulfilled again and again and again. And I think that's amazing about some of the texts that we read in the prophets that we can say are fulfilled in that time or in Jesus's time, but we can see them also fulfilled in our time again. Um, because the Bible is like an evergreen tree, right? It's, it's always new and renewing, and it doesn't ever go out of season. Um, so I think this is another one of those texts that uh, Matthew made an editorial choice, but there is truth and beauty in it, and he's using it to make a point and also to 
help people understand more deeply that Jesus is a fulfillment of these messianic prophecies and he is uh, the one. He is the one and he is from God. Um, the other thing with the virginity is that oftentimes um, Israel was seen as a virgin bride of Christ, right? So they always talk about the Israel is the virgin and lots of the texts, especially in the prophets, where they're um, having some choice words to say about Israel when they're kind of wayward, right? They're worshiping other gods. They're following through with a different kind of cultural understanding that's not God's best for them. Um, but God is calling them back to be that bride, that virgin bride. And so this text would really raise that into the memory of those who are hearing this text for the first time because they are a Jewish audience. They are steeped in this tradition. They are steeped in this understanding. And so this is not something new. Do you guys have any questions so far? I've done a lot of downloading <laughs> of my cool excited. You're not excited about this as much as I am. <laughs> Haley's nodding her head. I'm like, well, what are you excited about, Haley? So it's like, have you ever read the Joseph story like that? Like ever thinking any of those things? I'm just like slow to, on the uptake or something. <laughs> anyway, I'm just excited by it. Okay. A couple more, more little, little data points here. So I think when I first read through the text for my study, I mean, I've read it a million times, but I was like, wait, basically Joseph gets told that Jesus has two names. <laughs> Why, what? <laughs> What's going on there? So Joseph is told to name the baby Jesus, uh, which interesting fact was a super common name at that time. And so that itself is symbolic. So you've got this Messiah, the, the special one, the savior of the world that's coming, whose name is like John Smith. That's really what it was. Um, I think it was like Josephus, who is the, like kind of the ancient historian, said something about like how there's like 20 different Jesuses that were around the, the um, disciples and all that kind of stuff. And I totally get it being named Jennifer at the time I was named Jennifer. I literally had five Jennifers in one of my classes in elementary school. And so I get it. It's like, we've got this super typical name. It means the God who saves or Yahweh saves, which is amazing, but yet it's a really common name. Um, so I love that. It just helps us to, to like really understand Jesus as a human being. It's like he was Joe Schmo. He was John Smith. That was his name. It wasn't remarkable. And I think that that almost in some ways fulfills those prophecies about Jesus kind of being unremarkable um, in that way, which is pretty cool. All right. So the Emmanuel part is the one that's referencing um, Isaiah 7. So it means with us, God. So you've got on one hand, the super common name, and then you've got the with us God, like God incarnate, God is in the flesh. And so I think it, it obviously reminds us that Jesus is God. It, it emphasizes that messianic purpose, that messianic um, coming of Jesus. But at the same time, he's with us. 
Um, one of my favorite translations in the message is in, from the book of John, and it talks about um, the God who pitched a tent and moved into the neighborhood. I mean, that's who, that's who Jesus is. He experienced, he experienced everything we experience as human beings. He knows the fullness of what that means to be a human being. And that's just a beautiful thing. Um, so I wrote that, the G, that Jesus is the gift of the divine presence in and among all of the people. He's not separated into being with this high class group of folks. He's not just with the lowly. He's with all the people, everybody. So from the very beginning in this text, like Matthew is claiming who Jesus is. He is, a, he is a Messiah for everyone, but he is absolutely the Messiah, indescribably. Um, he's a God who saves us from our worst, our selfish impulses to embrace hope, peace, and joy for all of creation. That's awesome. Okay, so that's kind of moves into this Emmanuel piece. So, you know, like from the very beginning of this text here, Matthew's claiming who Jesus would be. He's a God who understands humanity from within and helps us to wrestle with what it means to love in the face of opposing evidence. And we've seen that over and over again in the narrative lectionary this year so far. We've got lots of people who've defied the odds, who've defied the law, who defied like current convention to be able to do the thing that God has called them to do. And Joseph is here doing that again. He's defying the law to do the thing that God has called him to do because God calls us to love more than anything. And I think all of us wrestle with that. We have, a lot of us grew up in traditions that have a lot of holiness codes that go along with them. Like what does it mean for us to live our lives? We have to follow certain rules, right? When the reality is the only rules are to love God and to love others. And it's messy as all get out. But we have the God with us to walk with us in every messy situation. All of the spaces that we don't know what way is the right way. Because in reality, there may be 20 right ways. There might be a lot of possibilities of what it means to live in love. But it's not something that we, that we can just let pass us by. We have to wrestle with those questions. We have to engage them. We can't just put them aside and say, oh, somebody else will figure it out. No, we have to figure out who we are called to be to that person that we see that's struggling who's hurting themselves in a myriad of ways with uh, those relationships that we have that rub us the wrong way, that are actually kind of shaping us into people that are more like Christ when it comes down to it. Because, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of times in the evangelical world, there's a lot of like, five steps to this and five steps to that and I think that's really a lie because life's never really that simple that's a whole heck of a lot more complicated than that and I think if 
if we are trying to to make people believe that the gospel is that easy, I think we're we're uh, writing a whole bunch of people off. When when Jesus talks about taking up our cross and following him, it's not necessarily about like being willing to die for the gospel, I think. I think it's like dying to ourselves and our pride in the ways that we think we should live in the world and to to being right and to being um, the bearer of the, the final authority on situations. I think the gospel is picking up our cross and laying down our selfishness to love other people. And sometimes that means exploring our theology and stretching ourselves and trying to learn something new about what it means to be human. It's, it's big stuff. It's a lifelong journey that we're never going to come to the end of. Um, it's, a, it's a constant process of growth and change and newness and life. And I think that's really exciting because sometimes we think we get to a certain age and that we've got it like, well, this we're coasting now because we figured out our routine and the way that we do things. But I'm telling you, God doesn't believe in retirement. <laughs> when it comes to spiritual growth and change and development, I think this is a, like a constant renewing of our minds. <laughs> and as long as we're placing ourselves under Christ's teaching, I think we'll, we'll grow, we'll change, we'll be renewed. And that's hopeful. That's, you know, Jesus breaking into the world as this Emmanuel. He's a revolution to the world and to us as individuals. He's tearing up all our presuppositions and saying, we're starting a new thing here. We're starting a new thing. And so it's amazing to me that we get to celebrate his life by his death because he had a resurrection. He conquered death forever. And we get to come to the table every week and eat and drink and celebrate his overcoming all of the brokenness of the world to invite us to overcome our brokenness by his power. And so I invite you to come to the table today in what, no matter what kind of situation you're in, what kind of place you're in, what kind of things you're thinking or worrying about or struggling with today because Jesus doesn't care. He just wants you to come and to take and to eat, to celebrate his life, his death and his resurrection, his birth that is an inbreaking into the world. And whatever problem you're dealing with right now, God is willing to break into that space and to be a revolution for you. So Jesus, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for this juice that represents your body and your blood that's been given for us in, in joy. Not because of a responsibility or a requirement, God, but because you love us that much. So Lord, for whatever space that we're in, whatever worries we may have, whatever concerns we come to this table with, God, we know that you hear them and you are with us in them.
So everyone come and taste and see that the Lord is good.